Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. We just finished the book of Romans. My goal on Bible, marath- um, Bible Marathon and specifically word dinner is that you've actually eaten it such that your body understands that you have eaten this thing. You get what I mean? So you must understand why the book of Romans was written, what it's all about, everything you need to know so that when you are sharing the gospel with someone or when you're teaching or when you're just walking through life, there is a text that comes to your mind that you have studied and put in your heart. Let me start with this text. I also want to, if you have your Bible with you, I need to open Colossians chapter 3 from verse 16. You know, and read. We have an issue where my easy worship software that puts scriptures up is bad. So I'm going to put, um, I'm going to use Bible Gateway online. So, but before we go in there, can someone read Colossians chapter 3 <coughs> from verse 16? Okay. I'm there. All right. Oh, go this ahead. is the NKJV version. Mm-hmm. That the word of Christ do when you reach me and always don't teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Love it. So there is an instruction by the Apostle Paul. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom. Look at the adjective, richly. So let it not just be in you, but let it be in an abundant measure. And he says, not just in an abundant measure, but in wisdom. So Look at the layers. Let God's word be in you. Let it be in you richly. And let it be in you richly with wisdom. So there must be an appropriate use of the word that you have received richly. Are you seeing that? So there there are levels to that. And then how do you achieve this? It's just teaching yourselves. Singing songs. I don't know if you joined late, you didn't hear the song we started with. But I asked them... Vicky to put the lyrics of that song on the chat. I want you guys to go listen to it when you have the time. It's called The Power of the Cross. It's a beautiful song. It's like a hymn. Um, but it's so beautiful. I think she will repost it again. But that's why I told us to read that text. God wants the word of God to dwell in us richly. And then it has to be useful in our hearts. It has to be, you know, effective and powerful. I remember in um, my university, I was longing to know everything I could about God. I was like reading, studying, going for meetings. And one thing that just kept happening was I was meeting people challenged me. You know, I would just see someone like, how is this person so good at quoting scripture? How do they know this? How do they know that? And like, I want to be like that person. And I'll start working at it. And um, I mean, I've come a long way where right now there's hardly any place in the New Testament you will quote that I would not know. If, if at least I don't know the chapter or the verse, I will know the book. Like, because I've so spent time trying to know God's word. And the truth is, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Because you just keep learning and learning about this powerful, amazing God that we serve. All right. And so we're about to get into one of the books, a very specific book in the Bible that has a clear mission. And I want you to have it at the back of your mind that 
both answer four important questions. If you've been in Bible Marathon for any amount of time or for like a significant amount of time, you know those four questions. Even best you guys. What are the four questions to ask whenever you're about to read a book of the Bible? Especially an epistle. Who wants to go? What are the what are the things to ask, the questions to ask? You guys couldn't have forgotten it quickly. Goodness, so you see that okay, good. Uh -huh. Before I start calling some names. All right. So the first question is who's the author, right? Because who is writing the book is very important to know. And then to whom was it written? Meaning, who's the audience? Okay, good. You guys are answering now. Right? What who's audience? Who's the audience of this letter? Because it's important. It tells us a lot about the times. It tells us about the people group. It tells us about what they were dealing with. So it would inform what the author would write, right? And then the following question is, why was it written? Right? Why was it written? So why was this book written to these people at this specific time? But there's one question that you guys have not answered. There's one more. Someone said culture, no. Okay, Vicky. Also, can I type it too. Okay, how we get uh -huh, but yeah, right. Yeah, so now that this book was written to these people group, you know, this particular people group for at this particular point in time in history, how does it apply to us today? The reason you have to ask that is because not every everything that is written in scripture is written to you. I've said this before: the Bible was not written to you, but for you. Let me say that again. The Bible was not written to you. It was written for you. In other words, when Paul was writing to the Galatians, which we're about to get into, he's not writing to Naomi or goodness in the 20... What century is this? 21st? 22nd? 21st? I said 21st century. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you know, the 21st century, there's a, there's a huge gap between then and now. So we need to be sure how to apply whatever has been said in that generation to those people and say, okay, what applies to us today? And that's where Bible interpretation comes in. And that's where you also see that a lot of people differ in interpretation. Now, it doesn't mean that the Bible can have multiple interpretations. It just means that if you are faithful to interpret the scripture as it is written, you will hardly come out with a wrong conclusion. If you look at the scriptures, this is what the author was saying to this person at this time. So how does it apply to me today? Then you compare scripture with scripture and you can make that con um, conclusion. So I want us to have that at the back of the, our minds as we read this. All right. So we're in Galatians chapter one. And I'm going to put up, we're going to read from chapter one, from verse one all the way to verse nine. And then I'll start to give an explanation because I don't want to waste any more time. All right, confirm that you can see my screen. All right, so we're reading Galatians chapter one. Let's pray real quick. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. We're about to jump in, teach us, enlighten us, train us in righteousness. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, Galatians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches any gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. So let's stop there. Let me ask you a question um, so that at least we get a very good idea of what, what we are doing here. How many of you have been believers for up to 12 years? Let me see. Anyone, you've been a believer 12 years. Okay. Of, let me go down a little bit. Six years. There's nothing embarrassing if it's, I don't know why people are thinking too much. Okay, three years. You've been a believer for three years. Okay. How about two years? Okay, one year. I love this. This is beautiful. So people are like, I don't know. <laughs> so one of those who were born in church. <laughs> so you know there's a difference, and just, just for the sake of um, explanation, there's a difference between being a member of a church and being a believer. So, um, you know, so... When was, in a sense, I'm asking you about the time you realized the gospel for the first time. Like, oh my God, this is what the gospel is really about. I've really sinned. And, you know, God is providing this way out by his blood shed on the cross. So, okay, I get it now. And I believe and I want to follow. So, now, I'm asking you this because I'm about to tell you a little story. So, you understand what's going on. So, let's assume you've been a Christian for 12 years, right? been growing in the faith, learning about God, doing all of this stuff. And all of a sudden, you just get an instruction, you know, maybe by some miraculous event, just know that God is calling you to be a missionary. So you're like, oh, wow, okay, God is telling me to leave everything I'm doing and go to this particular nation and preach. And so you get ready, you, 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 you go on that mission trip, and on that mission trip, you're going from city to city. God is working through you. You're doing amazing miracles, right? You're planting churches. And um, not only are you, you're not alone. You're with some other people who have come along with you. And you're planting churches everywhere. So for like five years, you've been going around doing amazing things, planting churches. Churches are growing. And then 
you go back to the church you first were, you know, at the early stage. So you planted a church before you went on the mission trip. You planted a church maybe on your 13th year in Christ. And that's when God says, go and preach. And so you've done all of that. Then you come back home and then get to your church and you realize that they are teaching rubbish. Everything that you have worked for has just been tarnished, messed up. And you're like, what is going on here? That is exactly what is happening in the book of Galatians. That's what I just painted. If you look at the book of uh, Galatians, we're going to see some of these things I've said as we read on. But it starts with Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by God, going out, you know, missionary trips to um, Antioch, different places, and then comes back and then realizes, wow, I can't believe this. You guys have started teaching something I did not teach you. And so what does he do? Well, he writes a letter. Or let me say he di dictates a letter, as we're going to find out. And some of you who were here when we're talking about the book of Romans, you understand. Let me ask that question. Who wrote the book of Romans? <laughs> let me see who was in that, who was paying attention. Who wrote the book of Romans? And for those of, you of, of, those of you who are catching up, you get to hear this as well. So don't worry. Good. Eh? Yes, tertius, not titicus. So it's tertius. Now, what, what is happening? Tertius was the scribe of Paul. So Paul was dictating the book of Romans and tertius was writing it all right, on behalf of Paul. That's how it worked back then um, for, for most of the, the epistles. So Paul is also about to write a letter to the, to the Galatians. And so that's what we are reading on the screen. So let me go you know, verse by verse and break it down for you and just, you know, help you understand what's going on here as well. So he starts how? Paul, an apostle. The first thing we notice is that he's very bold about what he's called. So God gives him a mission. God gives him an assignment. And that's what he identifies himself as. So immediately, the first thing we see is he says, I'm an apostle. <laughs> It's, it's not boastful. It is understanding your assignment and standing firm on it. Because a lot of people don't understand the, the difference between being proud and being honest. Eh? They said the volume is low on Mixlr. Ooh, okay. Let's, let's see if I can boost it. All right, check. Can you check now? Can you check if it's, it should be loud enough? If it's not loud, try restarting on your end. It should, it should be loud because it's, it's already clipping here. All right. So, ooh, what happened? All right. So, he says, I'm an apostle. So, he's identifying his ministry. He's identifying his call. But he also qualifies it. He says, not from men, nor through man. But through Jesus Christ. So I'm not an apostle that somebody gave the work to do. Not someone said, that, oh, okay, Paul, yeah, I think you're an apostle. No, he's saying it was Jesus Christ himself that commissioned me to this apostleship. And then he says, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. 
you know what's interesting is he doesn't even waste time. He starts to declare the gospel from the very beginning. So he's still introducing himself. He says, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead and all the brethren who are with me. So there are people who are with Paul and he's introducing the letter this way. Mm -hmm. Now, some of you may not understand why the letter has to start this way. Back then, the way they wrote letters is different from how we write letters today, which makes a lot of sense when I look at it. Like when you read a letter, many times you have to look at the bottom to know who's writing the letter. You have to go all the way down to yours sincerely before you know who's writing it. But back then, when they wrote letters, you start with your um, signature. Who are you? So the first time you get a letter, you know, okay, this is from this person, which is how we should be writing letters today. I don't know why they've twisted everything. But every letter of Paul, guess what? It starts this way. Peter too. You say, Peter is a servant of Christ Jesus, you know, to the saints scattered abroad. John, same thing. You know, John had a different way of writing though, you know. So someone said, we know by address. What if I don't know where you live? <laughs> But yeah, the way they wrote letters back then, you know, on their um, scrolls and whatever they had to, to write, would, it would always start with an introduction of who is speaking. And then later on, they would talk with uh, um, the people that, you know, they really need to greet. So Paul, with his brethren, that means there were people with him, to the churches of Galatia. So notice it says to the churches of Galatia. Galatia was a region not a city so there were many cities within that region and so paul was writing to every single one and so what you need to understand is that back then letters that were written to the churches were read in the churches so literally you gather everybody you say okay everybody sit down gather around they'll sit down after they've maybe worshipped or whatever they've done and then the lead pastor of that particular church location will say, okay, we've received a letter from Apostle Paul. Everybody will sit down. They'll be ready to listen. And then they'll say, <clears throat> Paul and Apostle. They will literally read it like that. So you can imagine what it looks like. Because most of the time when they receive letters, it's like, okay, what's the good thing that we're going to hear from Apostle? You know, you know most of the time you read a letter. Let me even show you how, um, you know, how an, um, First Corinthians starts. And we're going to do First Corinthians eventually, all right? I just want to show you how First Corinthians starts. So First Corinthians chapter 1. Notice, same, same style, right? Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and sustains our brother. So he writes his name and whoever is with him. And then he says to the audience, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Jesus, called to be saints. You know, beautiful stuff. And then what does he say in verse 4? I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God. You know, you guys are enriched in utterance, in knowledge. You guys are amazing. That's how the letter starts. But we're we are about to see something very strange. Because in Galatians, that we're reading, I, I, I was typing Gala. I just remembered. I've not eaten Gala in many years. You know, I don't know if Gala is still Gala. Okay, Galatians, verse 3. He's still thanking God, right? Grace to you and peace from God. So notice the arrangement. It's so, intention it's so intentional. Don't think anything is just by chance. So God's grace to you is what brings peace 
from God. So it is, it is the grace of God that is shown to you that also that, that translates to having peace with God. God has given you his grace, so you have peace with him. So grace and peace from God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now, what does who gave who? Right? Because when you read this, he's saying Jesus gave himself for our sins. But when you read John 3 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So question, who gave? Who actually did the giving? And the answer is both. The father gave the son. The son gave himself. One and the same plan. There's no discrepancy in their plans. They were one and the same in purpose, in, in ultimately what they were going to do. So they, and that's what you need to understand that in the Godhead, I, don't want, I didn't want to go into this now, but you have to understand that in the Godhead, there is no party that is against the other. There is, there is perfect harmony, and that's why it's easy for us to say we have and serve one God, because we actually do serve one God, not only in purpose or in character or in, you know, in, in the will, but even in the essence, right? In the essence, when you talk about God, God is holy, God is righteous. Jesus is holy, Jesus is righteous. The Holy Spirit is holy, obviously, he's Holy Spirit, you know. But like, if you look that way, you understand that we're dealing with one God. And we're not polytheists. We're not worshiping three different gods. Um, and, and Paul had that theology because that's how he spoke. Like God created all things. Jesus created all things, right? All things are made by the working of the Spirit. You see those three realities in the Bible. So you have to agree with the scriptures. But it says, who gave himself for our sins? So why did God give himself what was the purpose of jesus christ giving himself for our sins is for our forgiveness it's because we have done wrong things we have been criminals whether you don't see if you don't see yourself as a criminal you've not really understood the gospel because the gospel starts with a holy god that is 100 percent perfect so even if you are a good person you've not done anything you know you've lived in your father's house or your mother's house you know, you've never run away. You've never done anything that anybody could say, wow, this is very bad of you. Even if that's your story and you've been the best child, you are still a sinner. Why? Apart from the fact that you've probably done wrong things and thought wrong things, by nature of your birth, you already carry that sin nature. And so you already have a... You have the wrath of God upon you. It's just the way it is. All right. And um, you now have to understand what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus gave himself for our sins. That's the core message. It is for our sins that he gave himself. That he might deliver us from what? From this present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's blessing God. He's thanking God. And then, instead of going on to say, I've heard about your faith, your love for all the saints, you know, how amazing you are, how you excel in gifts. Paul jumps to verse 6, and he just says, I marvel that you're turning away so quickly from the gospel. 
But who is he running? Who, who let, let's let's go back. So after we've com- we've compared first Corinthians, we saw how that greeting was, what it looked like, and all of a sudden, just picture someone walking into your house, you know, instead of the felicitations, the greetings, how are you, how are your kids, you just say sit down, we need to talk. That's literally what this letter looks like. It's like the pastor is reading in the church, it's like, okay, Paul has given us a letter, <coughs> Paul an apostle, blah, blah, blah. And before he's about to start saying any good things, he just says, I am surprised. I cannot believe my eyes. He's <laughs> like, oh my God, we are, we are in for it. And so that's what you see here from verse 6. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. First thing to understand, he says, they're turning away so soon from him. So, before they even turn away from the gospel, we are seeing Paul say that they are turning away from him. And that's what happens. To turn away from the gospel, it always often starts with turning away from the giver of the gospel. It's, it's like you, you start to turn away from the person who gave you everything that you have. And it seems like that's what Paul is communicating he said, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that you are turning away from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You're turning away to something else, different from what you have learned. And then verse 7 says, which is not another. What does that mean? There is a gospel you've received. I've taught you and I left you guys. Now I've come back. And you are teaching something different from what I gave you. It says it's, you're teaching a gospel, but it says it's not another. Meaning, there is no other good news anywhere. Anything that anybody is going to bring and teach that is different from what I have taught you is not good news. <laughs> and so I think the question is, what is this gospel? It's, it's the question that is going to be answered throughout this book. All right. So... Paul is kind of like saying, hey, you guys, I'm surprised. You've forgotten the basics. I've taught you this thing. You've turned away from it. And he's going to spend the rest of the book to scold them and then to reiterate the gospel and to correct the excesses that they've begun to allow in their gatherings or in their church. All right. So you need to understand that the gospel itself, and this is a point I want to bring up before we even get deeper. You need to understand that the gospel itself, when you truly understand it, it can be offensive. It can be offensive. Why is the gospel offensive? There are three reasons, right? Three reasons why I think the gospel is offensive. And some of you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever preached the gospel, internally, sometimes you just feel like, you know, I'm ashamed or... I don't know how they are going to take it. There's that little fear that comes up. Um, and there's some of the reasons why that's the case. Number one, you need to understand the gospel is basically saying that you need salvation. You need saving. Do you know how much that hurts the pride of anyone? It's like you're telling somebody you're not a good person. Have you ever preached to someone and told, you know, asked them, are they a good person? Most of the time, they always respond with yes. I say, why? Well, I haven't killed anybody. 
I'm here, I'm doing great to my life. I'm a student, I'm working hard, paying the bills. That's what they'll say. Okay, have you done anything wrong? Say, well, everybody does stuff. Like, I mean, we're, we're human. We, we, we make mistakes sometimes, but I'm a good person generally, right? That's what you hear people say. But the gospel is, hey, no matter how good you think you are, no matter how much you try, you still need salvation. You need saving. You need help. <laughs> and you know how that can punch your pride. Have you seen people that don't like anyone to help them? So I, I can do it myself. That is what people think the gospel, uh, why a lot of people, you know, find the gospel offensive. So number one, it tells you that you need saving. Number two, the gospel tells you you cannot save yourself. So not only is it that you, do you, not only do you need saving, you don't have the facilities to save yourself. You don't have the equipment to deliver yourself from harm, from danger, from destruction. You don't have it. And that is also a punch to one's pride, right? Because if, 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 okay, if someone told you, well, you have a need for saving, that, okay, okay, you're right. I'm not a good person. Well, I can do something about it. But the gospel says you can't. You have no, nothing in yourself. Do you know how, how Paul describes our state in Ephesians chapter 2? He says, And you, hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. So Paul was calling us dead people. <laughs> what can a dead person do? Nothing. As little as breathing in and out, they can't do that. A dead person cannot do anything. So the very, very statement, you need saving, that's the first problem. Okay, well, if I agree with that, well, I want to save myself. Just tell me what I need to do. The gospel also says, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> you don't need, your works will not help you. You are dead. Your works will not save you. And then the final one, when you now accept salvation, this is the one that should punch even the believer and you have to humble yourself. When you accept that salvation and you're like, yes, I received the salvation of Jesus Christ, it, it doesn't even give you any credit for your salvation. <laughs> like, so th that's why in itself, the, the, the gospel can be very, very offensive. First of all, it tells you you need saving. Secondly, it tells you you cannot save yourself. And then finally, it doesn't give you credit for your salvation. All the credit goes to God. When you look at the, the, the explanation of the gospel, let me show you. I want to go to 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians is going to be one of those, you know, when you know when you're watching a movie and there's like the actual storyline and then there are all these other side stories. That's what it's going to look like when we read Galatians. We'll be going to other side stories. Um, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. Okay, good. Paul is talking about the gospel he preached. Let's see what it contains. He says, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now he's about to talk about the gospel. Verse 3. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. So what are the components of the gospel? Number one. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Are you there in the story? Like at this point, 
Did you do anything? No, Christ died. That's the gospel. He was buried. It's still him. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he was seen by all these people. So Paul is describing the gospel and he doesn't mention anything that you did. He just starts from God. Because salvation is of the Lord. Salvation starts with God. It ends with God. And the earlier you understand is the better. Because if your salvation was hanging on you and your ability and your consistency and your strength and your faithfulness, by now everybody is doomed. <laughs> because if, if God allowed you to bear the weight of what it takes to be saved, no one can be saved. And so it's a beautiful thing when we hear that, oh, salvation is of God. God does the work. He saves us. All we have to do is believe. That's marvelous. All right, so let's come back to Galatians. And I think you start to see Paul's anger, Paul's grievance. God, Paul is very upset. He doesn't want to felicitate with them, you know, pat them on the back. He just goes straight to the point. Verse 6, I marvel that you're turning away so soon because he had just gone and he has come back and he's like, wow, it didn't even take a long time for them to deceive you. From him who called the great Christ to another gospel, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What is this word? There are some who trouble you. So anyone who is trying to win you and they are actually troubling you. Notice the language. You know when you're watching film and somebody comes and they block your front. <laughs> they come in front of you and they cover the screen. You say, oh, move away. Stop troubling me, right? Sorry that has no talking about. You're just on your own. Your sibling just walks into the room. They just they have nothing doing there. They just come and disturb your life. Paul is saying you were in a good place with the gospel. Now you are opening the door to all the troublemakers. So anything apart from the gospel. Has been hearing me on this question. Yes. All right. Let me said, maybe they want to get salvation. Absolutely. Your point. So you are already fine. You heard that Jesus is the way, the true life. You just had to believe in him. and Everything is dealt with. Your sins are forgiven. You know, God's death, Jesus' death on the cross was a timeless death, meaning it spanned the past and the future. So anyone who will believe in him in the future will be saved. You who have believed in him, your future sins are also dealt with. Like, when you hear that and you understand... Wow, I don't really have to do anything. All I have to do is trust, believe what I believed. That is amazing. So a trouble, a troublemaker is going to come and say, ah, you think that's the only thing you need to do? You have to do this. You have to do that. You have to change this. You have to change that, right? And then they tell you that that's what will, you know, complete your salvation. Have you heard of any teaching that people just want, they don't like the easy message. God has done all. Now, it's not easy because, how do I put it? It's easy because it's on our part. 
that we see the ease of it. It wasn't easy on God's part. Do you know what he had to let go of? He had to sacrifice his own son. Jesus had to suffer. He had to take leave deity, become a man, walk the earth, please the father, die, rise from the dead. Like a lot of things that had to be done. All we are doing is believe what he did. That's why it looks simple. That's why it looks cheap. So the gospel is priceless, not because um, I'm trying to phrase this so you get it better. The gospel is, is cheap only on our end, not on God's end. He had to, he had to shed his blood. Who gets what I'm saying? It had to be shedded of blood. There had to be suffering. There had to be pain to give you what you have that is free of charge. So it's like, how many of you know that when you go for all these events, you know, special events, programs, maybe you go for a concert and everything is big and massive, there's lights, everything, they give you food, but you didn't have to pay anything. And they said, you know, um, ticket free. And you go there and you're having fun. The reality is that that ticket is not free. He has paid for it. Do you know that that's how it works? You know, you walk into a church meeting and everything just looks so smooth. Everything looks beautiful. Everything is working fine. Somebody has paid it forward. <laughs> That's just how it works. So you are experiencing the free aspect, but the cost implications have been handled by another party. That's what we have in the gospel. So when somebody comes to give you another message, in a sense, they are taking part of what has been and telling you you need to pay it. And that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So anybody who comes that wants to bring anything to you, something you have to do, something to add to your faith, you know, that is going to grant you acceptance with God, that is wrong, that is false, and that is when people trouble you. You know, from the chat in Mixelar, Teresi says, um, you know, people telling you different things, certain things that you need to do to be saved, or even people that come and say that Christ did not rise from the dead, which was the issue Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians 15. All right. Hi, Daisy. Good to see you here. All right. So he says, it's, there's no other gospel. What these people are trying to do is to trouble you, disturb you, and stress your life. You know, the gospel is free. He says, they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And then Paul says something in verse 8 and verse 9, which is rounding up. He says, even if we, one angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you. This is so powerful. Paul is saying, if anybody comes with a different message from what we have taught you and established you on, he says, let him be accursed. That's a heavy word. So translation be anathema. That is like, <laughs> how can I it? It is the end of we're crossing someone to, to damnation. That's literally the language Paul is using. And you can tell his anger. Sometimes when you are reading the writings in scripture, you may not see the intensity of what's going on, right? So you read a verse like, you know, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice on the last day of the feast. If any man thirst, let, you know, let him come and 
out of his bellies will flow rivers of living water. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. That's the problem we have when we read scripture without understanding the, <laughs> the, the language or the emotion behind what was being said. So how would you read that text, for example? It's going to be like, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus cried with a loud voice, if any man thirst, right? So you can see the difference. I read the same scripture, but there is intensity to it. So if I was reading this letter as Paul hitting it to the person who was writing it for him, how do you think it would have sounded? So I also want to do that real quick. I want you to read verse 6 to verse 9, which is on the screen. I also want to act it out for me right now. So if you're good at acting, you've been to acting school, or you just feel like, oh, I've watched movies to know how these things work. I want you to just raise your hand and I'll choose you. I want you to read verse 6 to verse 9 as though Paul was dictating it in his anger from what he, what he actually felt within. Who wants to do that? Vicky, okay. Vicky, you must do it well, though. Unmute yourself. Let's hear you. Reading from verse 6 to verse 9. Quickly. Yeah. Can you guys You're hear muted, me? Can you guys hear me? We can hear you now. Yeah. Okay, I'll give you my best. Mm. From verse six to nine, Yeah. Okay. Don't do move fast out. Don't move fast out. Just... <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Go ahead. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there, are some, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, ah, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say <laughs> again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Did I try? Yeah, good acting, good acting. Thank you. That was very good. Like a Obama, a level of density. <laughs> so that was really good. I don't scream at you. That's one of the things I'll you know I'll teach in the future. Where um you know if you are going to ever lead people or teach people um you have to do a little bit acting just to get your word clearly understood like you have to you know show emotion you have to communicate your thoughts it's something very important but paul even though hidden behind the the textual style we can still see his anger with words like accursed uses i can't say have you seen someone say <laughs> you don't hear people say that. You say you are very stupid. Nigeria is like very stupid. You are crazy. <laughs> so you can imagine someone like Paul saying it in Greek. You know, you can imagine what that would look like. So I think I wanted to emphasize that just like, so that we get the gravity of this. That Paul was saying anyone who teaches anything apart from what he has taught, let that person be cursed. And what says next? And this will I'll round up. Already out of time. He says, even if 
It is an angel from heaven. How many of you have heard of Joseph Smith? I'm bringing this up because I know um, earlier in the, the when I was asking everyone to talk, um, Chuku Funaya shared her story, you know, that she has been to many churches. There is this, um, I don't want to go into that in too much detail, but there are diff different churches that claim to be Christian churches, all right, that the authenticity can only be checked by someone who saw an angel. You get what I mean? So you look at the LDS, um, that, you know, the Church of the Latter-day Saints, you looked at, um, you look at, um, you know, some of these other people, there are a lot of, all of them that would be claim to some supernatural revelation that, oh, I saw an angel, an angel told me this. If, in fact, you know, Muhammad has that same story that he was just on his own, an angel came and he, that's how he was inspired to write the Quran. When did all these things happen? Many years after Paul said this. So even if an angel from heaven, are you hearing? That's why, to be, to be honest, I want to, I want to warn you. I know there'll be a lot of people, especially in these last days, that'll tell you, oh, I went to, I died, I went to heaven and I saw this and I saw that. And God sent me back to warn you people. If it's not the scripture, throw it away. Paul has already told us clearly, not, not let anyone trouble you. Don't let anyone make your faith. If Christ is coming back for you, he's coming back for you. Don't let anyone come and teach you. Oh, I saw Bodukaya wearing trousers. That's why she was in hellfire. I've heard a lot of weird stuff. And then you, you now be gripped with fear. Oh my God. Uh, so what do I do? And then you start adding to the faith that was once delivered. Don't be a person. If anyone preaches any gospel than what you have received, Paul said that him be accursed. So I think this is a good place to stop. Paul is trying to introduce his message and he doesn't take it easy on them. He says, see, anyone who's trying to twist the gospel of Christ is one of damnation. So stay away from false teachers. Stay away from people who are taking away the simple, beautiful gospel. Paul calls it the simplicity that is in Christ. And they want to draw you to another idea, to another mindset, to another worldview that says, hey, it's faith plus works, or it is faith plus these sacrifices. Some people even go the extra mile to say, you know, it's faith, but you must be baptized in water. You must eat um, of the communion, the Passover. You must, they will not add other things. You must attend church regularly. If you miss any of these three, you are doomed. Is that what the gospel is? No. The gospel is faith in the saving work of Christ. We're going to talk more about this because we're in Galatians and there's still a lot more to delve into. All right, so let me pray and then I'll take a few questions and we'll be out of here. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for helping us just get started with this book. We pray that our eyes will be open to understand your will. You help us to resist false teaching, false uh, you know, troublers, people who want to draw us away from the gospel of Christ to another message, which really is not another gospel. Help us, Lord, to be discerning in every moment of our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. 
If you would like to join the actual World Dinner Sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link bmg.disha.page. It's always on Fridays, 9pm West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.